Good morning and welcome back to the Thrive Subscribe Podcast. I am one of your hosts again, Michael Deniger. Um, just to give you a little update, uh, last week I uh, related how quickly things changed in our practice with protests and potential riots and looting taking place near uh, my practice site. Uh, a week later, of course, uh, a lot of things have changed, and we've actually removed the plywood from our store just yesterday. Uh, we still have protests happening around town, uh, almost every night, in fact, but they have eased into a kind of a comfortable rhythm, uh, and they have uh, decreased in their, their destructive nature, if you will. Uh, several downtown buildings have been vandalized in our area with spray paint mostly, uh, including some historic buildings, including one built in 1842 uh, that is the center of our university campus. Uh, we also began welcoming patients back into our pharmacy last week, uh, and we did so using a traffic signal to limit the number of persons in our store at any given time. Uh, for those interested, I have actually written up a description of what we've done and, and how it's worked uh, on my blog, The Thriving Pharmacist. Uh, that's www.thethrivingpharmacist.com. Head in that direction if you want to read some more. Uh, on top of all of this, of course, uh, we've also were selected as a COVID-19 test site uh, for a program that's uh, uh, out there, and uh, we went live late last week. Uh, the test is a nasal pharyngeal swab, uh, and the patient actually performs a swab themselves uh, in their car. Uh, this is a kind of intimidating, at least it looks intimidating, and we practice on ourselves, uh, and I will say it is a fairly unique experience. Uh, but of all the tests that I've either proctored or witnessed, patients seem to be troopers and be getting uh, the swab done and getting it done correctly. Uh, so the rapid pace of 2020 is, is still taking place as, as we look to finish the first half of, of the year. Uh, and the pandemic... Uh, has a, been a very big part of you know our year so far, obviously, and likely it will continue to be a, a major uh, point for the next six months or more until a vaccine is out there and uh, in mass use. Um, but the pandemic is impacting all sorts of things uh, in healthcare, including some of the quality programs that have been enacted. Uh, and today, uh, Randy will be talking with uh, Jake Galdo with uh, PQA about some of these programs and their implications, as well as how the the pandemic has actually impacted them and created both opportunities and uh, and challenges. So, uh, Randy, take it away. Welcome, everyone, to uh, our Thrive Subscribe podcast. And I'm excited today that we have a special guest in Jake Galdo from the Pharmacy Quality Alliance. And before I get started with, uh, with Jake and talking about quality, one of the things I, I want to emphasize is it's important that us as pharmacists have this knowledge of quality. And one thing that has happened in, in Iowa, which has been a statewide program as we work with our biggest pair in the state, and is that we've been able to establish that pharmacists, especially the pharmacists within a community setting, have really been able to impact quality measures that are affecting the care of their beneficiaries in a very positive way. And it's not only affecting the quality metrics, but it's also affecting their financial metrics, the total cost of care metrics. So much so that the payer has made the decision to um, create a new benefit that they're going to be offering to their customers that have this type of a value-based pharmacy program associated with it. And because of that, I thought it would be good for us to talk to uh, Jake from PQA um, to really establish the importance of quality measurements um, and what pharmacists should be prepared to do um, to uh, affect those quality measurements. So Jake, welcome to Thrive Subscribe. 
Thank you, Randy. It's a, it's a real pleasure and honor to be here chatting with you. Well, Jake, you and I have go a long ways back and have had many discussions, and, and I think you're such a good proponent for uh, pharmacists and the impact they can have on quality measures. So, you know, quality is something that healthcare um, is, is focused in on. It's not just healthcare, but the payers of healthcare is focused in on. So it's a frequent discussion amongst many stakeholders. But from a pharmacy perspective, how important is it that pharmacists understand quality metrics and how it affects them? Thanks, Randy. I think that's a really interesting question. And uh, like any good conversation, I'm going to come back to your question after I ramble on with a story first. And I want to come back to what you were talking about and what you're doing in Iowa and what we see there. And what's so exciting about that is we're starting to see this paradigm shift that we've been talking about probably for decades about how pharmacists need to get reimbursed for cognitive services, not just that product-based reimbursement. And so I think it's really exciting where we're starting to see where a pharmacist is an integral member of the healthcare team for their cognition and the value that they add to that care conversation, as opposed to not just getting the medication to that patient's hand. And so then when you ask about the stakeholders involved with quality, you know, it's everyone within the healthcare community. It's the patient. It's the caregiver. It's the medical team, anywhere from the physician to the nurse to the pharmacist to the dentist uh, to physical therapy. It's our technology vendors helping us understand our big data analytics. It is life science organizations with value-based contracts. It's the payers. And I think what really jumps out to me in this idea of the importance of quality and quality measures is that they end up being the Rosetta Stone of healthcare. Because when you want to talk about healthcare, it's the quote-unquote business of healthcare. It's the economics. It's the patient care. It's everything that's going into it. And the one thing that we can all kind of align behind is what is good value. And the value equation is quality divided by cost. And so when we think about where's this intersection of quality measures and why does it have such a vital role with our stakeholders is it's letting us speak the same language. We're all kind of aligning towards the same direction. We're rising the tide, which is gonna lift all the boats. And so when we think about why is it important for a pharmacist, it's because we wanna be part of that care conversation. We wanna be in the dialogue and we wanna be sure that we understand what people are saying and we wanna be able to meaningfully contribute to that conversation. Jake, I want to add to that then too is, you know, you talk about the multiple stakeholders and how pharmacists want to be part of the dialogue. Do you see quality metrics and the use of these metrics as a way that we really start developing the team approach? Although we've been taught about the team approach, there's still a lot of silos. Do you see this breaking down those silos? It, it of course, breaks down those silos. Um, I used to be a residency director and one of our practice sites was in a federally qualified health clinic or FQHC. And the provider side of that, we had a pharmacy co-located in that, the three, uh, it was a 340B pharmacy co-located in that clinic. And for the most part, they were kind of separated. The pharmacist was there, they were dispensing drugs, and they would consult when requested. And so then, you know, when I kind of got involved and started talking about quality and improvement and how do we better work as a team, we looked to the quality measures of the clinic. And that actually impacted the reimbursement for the providers whether or not their patients were hitting these quality measures. And one of the measures was percent of individuals with diabetes having an A1C less than 8%. 
And the clinic actually picked that measure. They said, this is the measure that we want to drive towards. We have a lot of care for individuals with diabetes. This is what we're passionate about. Let's make a difference there. And they weren't really making a difference. And it wasn't because they weren't trying, but they had a big uphill battle against them with all the various social determinants of health in our population. We were in inner city Alabama, uh, in Birmingham, and we had access issues. We had transportation issues. And so the individuals would be, you know, these patients would get started on an insulin, say uh, a glargine, detomy or something like that, so a basal insulin, and they got started on the 10 units, which is appropriate, and then your titration of a couple units for the next dose would occur six to 12 months later when the patient came back. And so we said, we can fix this. The pharmacist can help you with this. And our pharmacy resident built out this insulin pharmacotherapy clinic where she would call the patients or interact with the patients either when they showed up for the refill or if they had a phone and she was able to talk to them. And she, you know, talked to them about their blood sugar. She checked the, blood, uh, the glucometer and then she would adjust the basal insulin per protocol so that by the time the patient would come back to the clinic, they'd have their A1C checked. They were maximized on their basal insulin pharmacotherapy, and all of a sudden, the provider was able to add new drugs or change the entire regimen around based off of those patient characteristics. And so it really transformed how this clinic looked at the role of the pharmacist and the role of the team. And again, it went back to that getting on the same language, getting into the same direction, which was to map against a quality measure. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I see that pharmacists have an opportunity to be part of the team, and that's a perfect example of how the pharmacist can be integrated, utilize their knowledge and their skill set to help the team manage a patient and achieve these clinical metrics. So thank you for that example. I thought that was very well done. You know, things have changed more recently in the past two to three months because of COVID-19, and I know from a community pharmacy practice, um, it has changed how I how we practice and how we uh, take care of our patients. But it was interesting to me, Jake, um, during COVID-19 that two things kind of emerged um, during this time for me. One is that pharmacist, community pharmacist um, in particular, that's what I'm focused in on, is very much a, a, a healthcare worker that is a necessary worker. We're, you know, we need to be there because we're providing these services that otherwise would not have been provided to the patients, especially during times when some offices other clinicians' offices closed down until they could figure out how they were going to manage this and or utilize telehealth services. So the pharmacist became very important. But I also realized during this time that a lot of providers still didn't un fully understand the value of pharmacist. And so I want to know from your perspective in PQA, um, you know, has how has the COVID-19 pandemic affected the quality measures? And has it uncovered any new metrics that we should be looking at or measuring? That's a really great question, Randy. And I love that you kind of talked about the two facets of what's happening uh, within the, the healthcare response to, to COVID-19. And I almost want to challenge you back with kind of two ideas that emerge within quality and COVID. Uh, the first is the impact that COVID will have on current quality measures. And we can leverage kind of our adherence measures that we see in Part D uh, kind of in this area. And we recognize, as you well put, providers or patients aren't able to see their providers. So we might be seeing a delay in refills or delay in access to the refills. But on the flip side of that, we also see where payers 
recognized that patients wanted to spend less time in the pharmacy or less time getting out because we had kind of our, our social isolationism going on and, you know, living at home. And so they allowed 90-day supplies. They allowed unlimited refills um, from a payer perspective. So if I had 12 refills, I can get my 12 refills right now. And so what's interesting is it's almost hard to say, what has that done to the current quality measures? Right? When we think about adherence, it's based off of dispensing, um, pharmacy management system, administrative claims. And so you could argue that we see less of them because we're getting less refills. But at the same time, we actually might be seeing more because individuals might have received a 90-day supply or 180-day supply of their medication so they didn't have to get to the pharmacy. So the true impact of kind of what's happening is a big question mark. We don't know. And so it's actually really exciting when you look at how CMS approaches that is that they have a history of evaluating the impact of pandemics or natural disasters on quality measures. And oftentimes they say, we're going to put a pause. This is an unusual situation. So we don't want to kind of evaluate uh, player A versus player B within this healthcare system on our quality measure right now because people are being disproportionately affected uh, by how, you know, the pandemic is affecting them. And so we can kind of look to CMS as the measurement system, the people that are implementing the quality measures, and kind of follow along with their recommendations. Though right now they don't have a lot of straight recommendations other than they're monitoring it. And so in that case, we can kind of look at that pandemic um, perspective and see where oftentimes quality measures are put on hold or they kind of just kind of wait and reevaluate once that kind of subsides and, and we get into a better situation. So, so to the first point, which is how are we affecting quality now? We don't know because it's kind of up in the air and you can argue both sides of it. So we just wait to see what CMS says for measures that are implemented within Part D. Um, but other measurement systems like Medicaid or regional uh, programs might be kind of doing different things on how they, they are implementing those measures. So again, from a pharmacist perspective, it's important to recognize all the various measurement systems that you're interfacing with and see what's going on with them so that you're aligned with that care. Your second piece about are there new metrics or measures that we should start to think about because of COVID-19? And I would challenge us not to think about COVID-19 measures as much as we may want to, because ideally, the COVID-19 is transient. It will go away. We will beat it. Uh, but at the same time, we need to get prepared for the next pandemic. So I would argue the real sweet spot for us right now is starting to understand metrics or measures that can evaluate pandemic response. Because the undercurrent of all of this is that a quality measure is retrospective in nature. Uh, so as much as we want to use a quality measure to evaluate what's going on with COVID right now, we really shouldn't because the quality measure is retrospective. How did we do in this time frame when we compare A versus B? And so we shouldn't really look to the quality measure to, to transform or evaluate the current practice, but we can take these insights as a way to better understand how we can approach pandemics in the future. I know that I'm part of a lot of discussions, both at the national and local level, about pharmacists and the accessibility of pharmacists, Jake. And as we talk about the pandemic response, one of the things that was brought up is about pharmacists being part of the testing in some capacity. Uh, pharmacists, you know, when the vaccine comes out, 
being part of the response to make sure the vaccine is, is being distributed and, and provided to patients. And But the other thing that I think people didn't realize is that during this pandemic, us as community pharmacists, myself, my own practice, we continue to provide the medication therapy management services. We continue to do the reviews. We continue to reach out to the patients and still make clinical recommendations. So it wasn't just the, you know, that we um, had the approval to do the 90-day fillings and and uh, get access of the drug, the critical medications to the patients, but we also continue to provide the critical services. And I'm hoping that payers out there, CMS being the biggest one, saw that value of what pharmacists can be doing during a pandemic. Any thoughts on that? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head, you know, from a from a personal perspective. My dad was actually in the middle of his Shingrix uh, regimen. So he'd already received the first shot. He was due for the second shot right when COVID happened. And so then we get into this really almost awkward situation. Should we be immunizing? Uh, so we're very lucky. Dad lives with me. So we sheltered at home with our Shingrix vaccine. And, you know, he, he got it. So he's immunized now. Uh, but I think what you're raising is the fact that we saw a lot of practices close. But at the same time, I had a little slip of paper in my car that said I was an essential healthcare worker and I could be on the roads and I could be going to that pharmacy to caring for people. And I think that that really opened everybody's eyes. It made them understand the, the greater they, the royal they, um, that a pharmacist is the most accessible healthcare provider. And we were really there to help. Um, I started to use telemedicine for my own personal health. Um, and it was wonderful. It was helpful. But at the same time, I was still going to a pharmacy to get care. Uh, and as a, a quick aside, this past weekend, there was actually an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal uh, from the, the editorial board on the opinion section. And they uh, were kind of talking about, should drugs just be dispensed at the doctor? Does the patient really have to go anywhere else? And I think that highlighting the fact that the pharmacy was open, but oftentimes clinics were not, is a really good example of the power of the community pharmacy being there in pandemics or not, to not just get the products to the patient, but provide advanced services to make sure that they're getting the optimal care that they deserve. Jake, I appreciate that because I read that same uh, piece within the Wall Street Journal, and it really made me think about, you know, pharmacy and the role of the pharmacist. And, you know, when we think about drug therapy, it's not just that the patient's getting access to that critical medication. I'll go back to that. It's about the patient receiving critical services. We need to spend a lot of money in this country on, on drugs that are not being used appropriately, right? And we call them drug misadventures or drug therapy problems, medication-related problems, whatever we want to call them. It costs our healthcare system a lot of money. Pharmacists have the knowledge, the skill set, um, and the education to really be the ones who are helping to optimize that medication, take them out of the equation. I can't even imagine how that will have an impact, a negative impact on, on the healthcare system and the cost of the healthcare system. So I really appreciate uh, that information that you provided about that, that piece. One of the things I wanted to ask you, Jake, is because I think most pharmacists see quality metrics and they either their eyes glaze over or they almost have a fear in them. How should they approach quality metrics in the sense of improving their practice in the sense of using it as a tool to help them evolve their practice? Thanks, Randy. I think uh, the first thing that they can do is get some eye drops, clean out their eyes so they're not glazed over. Um, and then we can start to really look at uh, quality measures 
with that fresh set of eyes, if you will. Those are really bad puns, and I apologize. Uh, but when we think about quality, it's not that we should be scared. It's a new language. It's that foreign language. It's that Rosetta Stone. And so what we need to do is start to learn that language. Uh, and I am pleased to say that one of the things that we've done at PQA is actually build a 15-hour certificate course that really goes deep into this world of healthcare quality as a way to empower anyone within healthcare, be it the pharmacist, the nurse, the physician, the health analyst, the patient care tech, the financial individual, the quality director. Really, we've kind of built this program so anyone can understand it and every, everyone can start talking the same language and really understand quality. Uh, so that's my biased opinion, is that you would start to look at different educational resources, get a deep dive into healthcare quality, and really start to, to understand it so you can transform your practice. Because I think it really transforms how we view what we can do, and we can start to think differently and innovate and be creative when we see what is out there. Um, if you actually haven't had the opportunity to go to Hospital Compare, CMS Hospital Compare, you can look at various health systems in your area, and you can compare them based off of quality measures. And my personal quality measure, personal favorite quality measure, is cleanliness of bathrooms. I don't know about you, Randy, but when I get hospitalized, I'm going to go to the one hospital that has the cleanest bathrooms because that matters most to me. And I can know that because of the quality measure. Makes me think I need to clean my toilets a little bit better now, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, now, I'm worried about like visiting you now if you're telling me that, Randy. <laughs> um, as a follow-up to that then too, Jake, you know, we, 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 I'm glad that there's educational resources that are out there. Are there other things that pharmacists should be doing? I mean, I, I look at some of my uh, aspects of my life right now professionally, and I'm very involved in, in pharmacy transformation, right? And, and helping pharmacists transform their workflow, transform their practices to support these patient care initiatives so that they're impacting um, quality measures, quality metrics, clinical metrics, and also um, affecting the, the total patient care that's affecting you know, cost as well too. And we got this flip the pharmacy efforts that are being done, which is a grant that's being provided from the Community Pharmacy Foundation um, through CPSN USA uh, to have uh, you know, transformation processes happening across the country of which we now have in the first cohort, over 500 practices being a part of this, and we're getting ready for the second cohort application, which starts today. So any thoughts on um, what you think or how you're perceiving this pharmacy transformation and how this can impact quality metrics? Yeah, that's a really great question. And so I would almost cha challenge us to start thinking about successful organizational change or change management from an organizational level. And there's a seminal article from Coder and colleagues, I think it's Coder and Keegan, and it's how do we successfully change an organization? And I always come back to this article because I think it helps us understand how we can transform and innovate. And in that article, there are eight steps to successfully change an organization. And the first step is having a sense of urgency. And to me, that is the most critical and the literature actually backs it up. Over half of all organizational changes fail 
because they haven't actually established that sense of urgency. And so when you're talking about the transformation of pharmacies, you're talking about quality measures, to me, that's our sense of urgency. Every other facet of healthcare is having this value transformation. We're going away from fee-for-service. We are going away from this payment model where I deliver something to you, a service, in our case as pharmacists, a drug, and I get money for it, and we're transforming it into a value system. We're now looking at quality and cost, and we're doing a bunch of things to help the overall quality and value of that patient. And so I think that that sense of urgency is now for us. We see that everyone else in healthcare has undergone this transformation, which means it's do or die time, Randy. Like, we got to transform. There's our sense of urgency. And so now we need to do it. And I think that using the tools available from educational resources to best practice models to flip the pharmacy and other transformation tools to help us change successfully, I think it's the only way that we're going to be able to survive and thrive. Jake, do you think that as a profession, we have that sense of urgency now? You know, it's kind of funny. I want to say yes, but at the same time, there are things that make me say no. Like we can go back to that Wall Street Journal article just a couple days ago. Like how is it that the Wall Street Journal is just saying, you know, drugs should just be dispensed out of the provider's office because the undercurrent of that is there's no role for the pharmacist. So I think that we really do need to reflect and say, what is our charge as a profession? And do we have that sense of urgency? And how do we get there? I think we're there. I think there are some of us that are ready, that we're luminaries, if you will. We're ready to, to light the change. Uh, but we need to have that organizational shift, that professional shift to really uh, meet the new normal. I totally agree. And, and we, we as, as each individual, I think, need to have that sense of urgency. If, if the COVID-19 did anything for me, besides change the way that I have to provide care to my patients, that also established to me that we have a long ways to go yet to get everybody understanding the value of pharmacist. Once they see it, once they experience it, they get it. But I realize that we've been doing a lot of talking, and yet there's been a lot of stakeholders out there who have not experienced what we've been talking about. And so we do have to have that sense of urgency and really give that sense, um, give that perception, give that um, type of practice setting that really influences and, and helps people to say, oh, I get it now. This is what pharmacists can do for me. Um, but we, we, we still have a lot of work to do. I, I think you're right. I think we do have work. But uh, to that point, I think the best thing that we can do is start getting outside of our normal circles, start talking to people that we normally don't talk to, reach across the aisle, if you will, and really help people understand what we do. So, Jake, my last uh, comment and question is um, you talked about that certificate course. Can you uh, tell our listeners how they can get access to that course? Yeah, so so PQA was uh, very lucky to partner with CE Impact, um, and so we have our certificate course available through that. And so uh, the website is pqa.ceimpact.com, and when you go there, there are a variety of different options for the certificate course, including... Uh, pharmacist CE, technician CE, nursing CE, and physician CE. Um, and any questions can always be uh, either directed through that, that education center or at education at pqaalliance.org.
Jake, thank you so much for your time today. And you bring a lot of passion to this topic, which is a difficult topic sometimes for pharmacists and other stakeholders to really get their um, heads around. But you bring such a dynamic component to it and give us a sense that, you know, why this needs to happen. So thank you for your time today and, and uh, you have a, a great rest of the week. The Thrive Subscribe podcast is brought to you by Thrive Pharmacy Transformations. Visit us online at tptransformations.com, where you can join our free community to inspire you, challenge you, and transform your pharmacy practice.